I wonder what type were you at school? In our school, there were categories of people. You belonged to a certain tribe. There was the emos, they were very sad all the time. There were the goths, there were the sporty types, there were what we called neds, there were the, the geeks. And that was school life. You kind of just fitted in with one of those groups. And I was, I was, might not surprise you, I was part of the sporty lot. So maybe at school, Joe and I wouldn't have been pals, but we're really good pals now. Half the time I just spent playing sport, the other half the time I just spent chasing girls. But my parents tried hard, not always very successfully, but my parents tried hard to get me into other things. And some of those other things were musical instruments. Now, I would love to play a musical instrument. I look back and I think, thank you, Lord, for good parents who tried to help me discover something inside of myself that was rhythmic or musical. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work. Recorder came and went pretty quickly. I tried the piano. Gosh, that was hard going. Theory was all right, but the playing side of it, oh, dreadful. The poor teacher got absolutely exasperated with me. Um, and then I moved on to guitar. Didn't go so well. And then the cornet, which is like a squashed trumpet, am I right, Steve? Okay. I played the, tr uh, the cornet and I got into a band. Okay, now what I want you to imagine is your kind of school life. Imagine the music crew, okay, so they're, you know, they carry around their violins or whatever. And um, they, they kind of look a certain way, do a, do a certain thing generally, okay? And then imagine the sporty crew. They're like kind of swagger about, think they're it. We weren't really, but we did think that. Um, and now I'm in this band, this brass band, and I am being bullied. I mean, like, shamed for being absolutely terrible at the cornet. I felt so ridiculously out of place. I think it helped me a little bit because sometimes you have guys who would join the rugby team or something, you'd be like, man, they're rubbish. And it would be easy just to shun them. Well, I felt like that in the when I, I kind of got a taste of my own medicine. I think honestly they probably just saw their opportunity. Oh, here's one, we can actually take him down. Look at him, he's so vulnerable. Maybe you have had that sort of experience. Maybe you're feeling something like that just now. And maybe it's deeper for you. Maybe it's not something so superficial like that where you can kind of just walk away at just a little stage in your life. Maybe for you this is ongoing. You just feel so left out. Well, I want you to know about the welcome of God. First thing we need to say here is that to God, every single human being is special. When God created the world, he saved the best for last. The pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. Image bearers, glory carriers. Theologian Wayne Grudem said that every human being we encounter is more like God than anything else in the universe. Whatever wonders that declare the glory of God in all of creation, none compared to the person sitting next to you. I was on an early morning flight on Thursday and um, looked out to my left just after we come up uh, through the clouds and I was blown away by the beauty of the sunrise. It made me want to worship. It felt 
arise within me. I just want to praise God, you're doing that every morning. When I was on holiday uh, this summer, we were uh, out at Staffa, seeing the puffins, and we were coming back towards Iona and Mull, and um, dolphins started to leap next to our boat. I was blown away. So it's the most marvellous thing, what beautiful creatures. Those things are nothing compared to the person sitting next to you. We bear God's image in a way that is unlike anything else. Eden was remarkable, but what made Eden so special was not how beautiful it was, I'm sure it was, but that God was there with us, with Adam and Eve. He walked in the garden. He dwelt with his people. Every other temple that was built had an image or idol to be put in the middle of this temple. And in the middle of this temple, a God would be represented. Or maybe they would believe that it's actually a God. At the heart of God's design in this first temple in Eden, what do we see? What marks his image? Human beings. In Scotland, I think we can be guilty of a kind of tear-down culture. Oh, that guy, he thinks he's God's gift, mate. Doesn't he? Look at him. The thing is, he is God's gift. The problem is when we don't believe that everyone is God's gift. That's the real problem. That's what we really mean when we say that guy thinks he's God's gift. He thinks he's better than everybody else. Actually, everyone is God's gift, a gift of God. The implication of that is that God wants no one on the margins. God wants everyone to be welcomed in. Since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, though, and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, human beings have preferred themselves and preferred their own type. Sometimes because maybe they're scared, they feel more safe with people like them, and other times for self-gain. In this city, it's so often about economic and social divides. People call other people non-educated delinquents, neds. Can I just never hear that in this church, please? They are image bearers, people adored by God. Let's not call people neds, as if they could be discarded, given no chance. People cross the street when they see different types of people coming towards them. It's why some employers in Glasgow still ask the question, what school did you go to? And for some employers, if that begins Our Lady or Saint something, then they'll find a reason not to give that person a job. I know that's fading and praise God, but it's still there. It's why streets in this, in this city are still named after people who profited from owning other human beings. This is Black History Month. And can I encourage you 
that at some point this month you get along to something that's going on in Glasgow that will help us to understand some of our history and some of the things that we have done that were not good. I know it's previous generations. But even today, that is not gone. We need to be radically different to the world around us. Even in church, people used to be able to pay for the best seats in churches in Glasgow. Poorer people would sit at the back, wealthier people towards the front, where you could hear the word preach more easily, where you could hear the choir more easily. It's disgusting. God would have nothing to do with it. God hates racism. He's incensed by tribalism. He's enraged by bigotry. He cannot stand favoritism, especially in his church. For all are made in the image of God as a pinnacle of his creation. And in the church, we are to look as best we possibly can to be the people who are restoring what it means to be image bearers. We've probably all experienced what it is to be left out, but we are all in one crucial sense left out. Out of the presence of God. Exiled from home. That is at the heart of what it is to not be a welcoming person. Because we've not first understood what it is to be welcomed by God. And that's why God's rescue plan has always included all types. Not one people group has ever been left out. Not only are all created in his image, but they desire that God desires all to be saved and added to the family. God built a nation. But when he built that nation, he built the nation to bless every nation. That's what he promised to, to Abraham in Genesis 12. It began as a project to the whole world. And then the end, as we see in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, John is shown on Patmos that God shows great, this great multitude will be, will be worshipping in heaven that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. That's what, that's what we're headed towards. Even the law to the Israelites stated this, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Leviticus 19, 33-34. Jesus then came on his mission from heaven to earth, and he died for all, for God loved the world. But he sent his one and only son, that whoever, whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And the eternal kingdom in Revelation 5, we see is a kingdom of priests from every tribe and language and people and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they will be wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. From every tribe, from every people group, 
God has created one new tribe, a tribe who are returning to God's presence. Tribes demand loyalty and they attempt to give security to people, don't they? It attempts to relieve our fears and increase our safety. But God has created a new tribe to unite them all. When we lay down our branches, like it says in Revelation 5, what we're doing is we're laying them down like the people laid them down as Jesus rode into Jerusalem to declare that he is king. And our loyalty now is to the king of all nations, of all peoples. He reigns over all things and gives us no reason to fear anyone. And if we have no reason to fear anyone, we can say goodbye to tribalism and welcome instead this new way of living where we welcome all types, all people, because we're following our king. And we know that not even death can remove us from our king who we are now loyal to. So we follow him and his ways in which he was willing to die for the whole world. And so now we, when we look at people around us, we don't need to be scared. We look at them with love. We say, come on, there's a better way. There's a better way to live than than all of this fraction. There's a way to live without division. There's a way to live united, and his name is Jesus. We can be united in him. And we can be part of the one tribe for all tribes. Speaking about the division between Jews and Gentiles, the Apostle Paul describes what Jesus did on the cross to the Ephesian believers. He says, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Hallelujah, right? The King of Peace has come and through the cross he has welcomed all to God. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to speak the right language or have the right lingo. You just need Jesus. It's the great leveler. Every single one of us just needs Jesus. You may have noticed many churches have red doors. Have you noticed that before? Going down high streets? If you were to count all the doors and you to tally how many had red doors compared to blue doors or whatever, I could almost guarantee that there could be more red doors in it than any other type of door, okay? And I actually realized recently why that is. And it's because it represents the blood of Christ. You enter in through the blood of Christ. A few weeks ago, we did a call to worship that says we all enter through the red door. It's from a church in the States called Emmanuel in Nashville. And it's adapted from an old Anglican call to worship. And I just want to read it because I think it's glorious. To all who are weary and in need of rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel lost and worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who fall and desire victory, to all who sin and need a saviour, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever else will come, this church opens wide her red doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, the lover of his enemies, the defender of the weak, and the justifier of those who have no excuses left. What a welcome. You were once far off, but through Jesus' blood, 
God has welcomed you into his presence. And now he calls you to be the hands and feet of God's welcome on the earth. Many temples filled with the presence of God, welcoming people back to an Eden-like existence in Christ. To welcome this city to us and to extend God's invite to them all. That is our call. So that's the welcome of God. But so what does the welcome of the church look like? Well, we're all on the welcome team. That's the first thing to say. Yes, we have a welcome team here, but we love to talk about how we're all on the welcome team. Not one of us is off duty from being on the welcome team. If you follow Jesus, you don't attend church. You are the church. And we're going to keep repeating that through this series. Because the easy thing to do, especially in our grace communities, as we're having these discussions, is we can go, oh yeah, I want to be a, we want to be a more belonging place that's, that's easy for people to belong. We want to be a, a church that is, is really marked by being welcoming. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so to do that, what we need to do is we need to be better at blah. Now that's great. Praise God, we need to have those thoughts. But can I urge us, can our first thought be, Okay, I'm the church with all these other people. What am I doing to make Glasgow Grace more welcoming? What am I doing to make this place a place where people can quickly come and belong? To be a radical welcome community of God, we've got to embrace our own roles. If we want to be part of a church that is known for welcoming God, uh, welcoming people into God's presence, then we've got to first realize that we have a responsibility individually. And then it comes from that as we work together with the same heart. We have an extraordinary number of people in this church who I'm so thankful for are just on this. I'll see a new person and they're just like running towards them. Come on, welcome in. So good to see you. Now, it might be a little weird if, like, I heard we all, like, went as fast as we could all together at New People all at once. But we do all need to think about how is it that we can show something of the welcome of God through what we do and how we behave towards not just new people, but one another. That's why uh, Romans 15, 7 says this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So our welcome isn't reduced to how welcome people feel at meetings like this, therefore. I mean, that's great. That's the starting point. That should be the basic thing we ask of ourselves. We will make sure that when people come through these doors and we're meeting together, this is a welcoming place. People feel that they are welcome. But we have to also think way beyond that. What does it mean for our lives to be welcoming? How do we choose to open ourselves up and be a welcoming presence, to have a welcoming space around our lives? It's one of our expressions as people filled with the Spirit to be temples, right? It's one of the ways that the Bible describes us. And we invite people to us as people who are filled with the Spirit. So therefore, when we are doing this, what we are actually doing, we must keep in our minds, I know I keep repeating this, but we've got to keep in our minds, we're not just welcoming to us. It's now, it's now a, a work that we're doing with God. 
as he fills us with his presence, we're saying, come and be a part of this, what God has for you, not just me being a nice guy. Like, how do you, I want to express something of what it means to welcome, uh, be welcomed into God's presence. So yes, welcome to buildings, welcome to meals and activities that we do, they're given, but God's image-bearing welcome is way deeper than that. There's a new way to live that doesn't prefer some and push others away. I was flying to the States uh, for a wedding uh, with Lindsay, and Lindsay's uh, sister works for BA, and so she had got her uh, standby tickets and managed to get her an upgrade into business class. So Lindsay is like phoning me, and I'm on a flight that leaves like half an hour later. She's phoning me, I'm in with C, I'm in the business class, this is amazing, they're bringing me my champagne, this is so cool. And um, I'm going, oh that's great, I'm really pleased for her. And then <laughs> I pass by this guy, and he's a big guy, really big guy, and there's, I got a whiff, okay, and I'm going, oh, do you know, my impulse was to say, Lord, please don't let me sit next to him as I'm on the phone to Lindsay. I knew in that moment when I prayed it, oh God, you're going to put me next to him, aren't you? And I got on the plane and sure enough, I was sitting next to him. And on the other side, there was a, another guy who um, was coming back from, he worked in oil in the Middle East and he was coming back, back to his, his home in the States. And uh, he did not stop talking to me for three hours about motorbikes. And no offence to anyone who loves motorbikes, I couldn't care less. And he thought I was very interested. And the whole time, I'm thinking, oh, do I have to be here? And I'm kind of like squished over like this. I'm even like quite close to him. And he's like really excitedly talking about motorbikes. And um, about halfway through the flight, probably three or four hours into the flight, the conversation moves on. I actually get a chance to share with him something of faith shared with him a little bit about Jesus. And I knew right then that I needed to repent. Jesus has come on this mission from heaven to earth for someone like me who does not deserve it. I'm the unlovely that God came to love. And yet, when the unlovely come to me, do I love? Not always. And so I repented and said, Lord, Forgive me. And you know, I felt God say, let it be a privilege to share with all people. Let it be a privilege. He, but both of those guys, image bearers, loved by God, who needed his grace and his mercy. And I was just worried about a whiff or not being able to sit in my seat the way I wanted to sit. We've got to challenge ourselves to be Christ-like, to follow his ways. The way of Jesus is not to give the unlovely a wide berth. It is to love. It is to welcome people to Jesus and show them his ways, show them his ways. In fact, we don't just make sure that we don't avoid those who are different from us. We deliberately go to them. Jesus was criticised again and again and again for going to the wrong people, the undesirables. 
And actually, he was also on the road a lot. He didn't have a home that was his. No permanent building to invite people to. Despite that, he was able to be the most welcoming and hospitable person who has ever lived. He welcomed people to himself. And praise God, his radical welcome is spreading around the world. Today, there are 2.56 billion people who would say that Jesus is Lord. And those people are inviting people into the welcome of God. There were 660 million Asian and African Christians in 2000. Since then, it's doubled to 1.2 billion. In 1900, only 5.4% of unbelievers could identify a Christian that they knew. That percentage has risen to 18.3% around the world today. By 2050, one in five unbelievers, 20% of people, will know a follower of Jesus if the trends continue as they are and have the opportunity to hear the gospel from him. That's because people like our friends um, who are part of the advance movement, Will and Bettina, are hearing God's call to go to places like Istanbul, where actually the number of people going to church are, are not even going to church, but calling themselves Christians, is about 0.3% of the population. They're hearing the call to go, and they're going. Now, one thing I want us to be particularly aware of now in our own context, in this post-Christian context, is we kind of need to wake up to where we're really at. In terms of Bible-believing churches, churches who open the Bible, who believe in the good news of Jesus, it's probably about 1% around Scotland of people that would att- regularly attend a Bible. Any guesswork, but that's probably even slightly conservative. It would be less than that. We need to become more and more aware of the need in our own nation. Do you know that more missionaries come to the UK than leave it these days? Because people around the world, in places like Korea and Nigeria and other places, are saying, wow, that country is so secular. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the welcome of God. Let's go. We'll go to them and we'll welcome them into the presence of God through Jesus. We need to be waking up and seeing that we have a mission here to welcome people of all types into the presence of God. I was chatting to other advanced friends of ours in London who helped lead a church in Ealing called Redeemer uh, this week. And they were telling me that more than 30 nations are represented in their church. How cool is that? Wouldn't it be great if that was us? There are a lot of people from a lot of different places and a lot of different cultures and types of people who live in this city. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see as many represented as possible? Well, we need to become a church that is increasingly welcoming for that to happen, who really are going to people who maybe feel like they don't fit in, who maybe feel like they don't have a place in the city, and extending the radical welcome of God. Okay, as a wrap up, here's what I'd love us to do. I'd love us to ask ourselves a few questions, a few simple questions that will be a good measure of how we are doing with being a welcoming church. Now remember, the church is you and me. Don't answer out loud, right? Not yet, anyway. 
Do we act differently towards some people than others? When you come to church or are in other group settings, do you find yourself only drawn to your friends, to your safe places? If so, can you make a shift and follow the radical call of Jesus to those standing or sitting on their own? Do you look out for the rejected and the isolated? Do you deliberately do that? Do you consciously think, who in my life is isolated? And how do I go to them? How do I care for them? Think of Jesus, God in the flesh. He said this, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it unto me. It's one of those verses you remember in the KGV for some reason. No longer do we fear the worst of these, we serve the least of these. Right? No longer do we fear the worst of these, we serve the least of these. No fear in Christ. Do you invite all types to your home? Like Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, let your dinner table be a great leveler. Are you listening to God for who to connect with? Or are you just acting on a self-serving impulse? Are you just worried about yourself? What you need? And thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I, need to, I need to connect with them because I, I need this. Now, there's not, that's not a problem. You've got to do that at times. But we also need to be people who are deliberately listening to God. Taking time to listen to him. And ask him, who do you want me to go and serve? Who do you want me to go and be with? Guys, let's enjoy God's radical welcome into his presence. It is radical. And by the way, his presence is here with us now. I could have preached on this in so many different ways and for so long. So there's so much else I would like to say. But here is one thing that wasn't in here that I'm really keen that we know as we come into worship. His presence is here with us now. And I'm going to invite his presence to come so you're filled with the Spirit, but we also ask that God would come and fill us afresh with the Spirit. Fill us in ways in which we can experience him and know him and know the presence of God.